SEC administrators, coaches, leadership, all debating the eight versus nine game schedule. It begs the question, Josh, are SEC coaches soft? We'll discuss on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners, and thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon in 94.7 The Ref in Norman. Josh, SEC meetings are happening now, right now, down in Destin, Florida. Hey, if you haven't been to Destin, it's a pretty place, a good place to have some meetings, maybe hit the beach up a little bit. But they're discussing, the, the biggest issue they're discussing is what to do with the schedule when Oklahoma and Texas officially join the conference July 1st of 2024 for the 2024 football season. Now, it looked like for quite some time that the schedule choice gaining the most steam was a nine game conference schedule. The sec for many years has played an eight game conference schedule and then four non-conference games, allowing them to kind of load up on some weaker opponents here and there. But in recent years, it seems like they've taken on a more um, aggressive approach to their non-conference scheduling. But Josh, where do you stand? I know if you're an everydayer, you've been listening to the show for quite some time. You've, you know where we stand on this. We like the idea of a nine-game conference schedule. But it, it, so we're a bit disappointed that it's taking a backslide right now. The final news that Oklahoma and Texas had orchestrated their buyout to the SEC. Do you remember what the buzz was the, the week or two prior? No, I don't. The buzz was from Brett McMurphy and from a bunch of national reporters. Uh, this buyout, we thought that there was going to be one more year in the Big 12, but momentum has stalled, right? Momentum has stalled that there's one year left in the, uh, the Big 12 for an early exit for Oklahoma and Texas. And what happened? Very, very quickly, there was a deal struck shortly after that. The exit fee, everything, all of the money's taken care of for Oklahoma and Texas to the sec so i say that to say this here i do believe there's a little bit of public posturing from greg sankey of the sec from presidents from athletic directors they want the power brokers that be at espn to believe very seriously that they're content to stay put at eight conference games because guess what as i'm reading here Ironically enough, from ESPN, resolution could be difficult as schools appear split on which scheduling formula is most beneficial. Issues of bowl eligibility, competitive balance, and the most important part, John, television revenue expected to be a part of the conversation. So to me, I do wonder if this is a little bit of a bargaining chip for SEC power brokers 
And uh, but if it's not that, John, then I would describe myself as very, very disappointed that momentum is heading the opposite direction from nine to eight, because frankly, you, I, uh, anybody listening, watching here on Locked On Sooners, you lose if they they go from if they choose to play eight conference games versus nine. You, the viewer, deserve more good inventory and less cupcake games. And uh, unfortunately, it sounds like cupcakes just might still be on the menu. And it also limits the potential for building new rivalries in the SEC. If you're only playing their one permanent rival, which we know will be Texas, that's not going to change. Oklahoma will play Texas every single year. Now it's just a matter of, okay, who are the other teams that they're going to play regularly? Well, if you're not going to play a nine game conference schedule and you only have one permanent opponent, then you're going to be rotating the other 15 teams. And so you're not going to see them maybe as regularly as you'd like, or as regularly as you need to, to start building that, that rivalry back or, or building some, I don't know how to put it, just more tension, I guess. You know, if you're not playing Missouri every year, you know, yes, Missouri isn't a traditional rival, but you've got tradition with that program. You've got nearly a hundred games of history with that program. If you're not playing them every year, think about Texas and Texas A&M. If those two aren't playing every year, it really is a missed opportunity for the conference. I really hope that your kind of theory on this, that it's posturing is accurate because that's, I mean, everything made sense when they talked about a nine game schedule, when you play three permanent opponents and then you play a rotation of the other six, but you're going to see everybody at least, you know, every four years in your home. Like even if you don't play Georgia, the first couple of years you're in the sec, well, you know what? You're going to host them year three or year four. So you're not going to go seven, eight years without having the bulldogs or the crimson tide or the tigers in Norman. That's, what the beauty of the nine game schedule is, is that you're going to see these teams on a regular basis and build familiarity with them and their fan bases and the fan bases with your, your town as well. Like that's, that's some of the beauty of college football is the travel aspect, going to away games, going to visit places. You want sec teams to become familiar with Norman, with Austin, getting that exposure and, and starting to kind of build that camaraderie a little bit as a program or as a conference. So I, I do hope that it is posturing who better to posture than Nick Saban, the guy that is kind of the, the voice, I don't, the quote unquote unofficial voice of college football because of the success that he's had. If he's kind of changed his tune from somebody who is very much a proponent of a nine game schedule to an eight game schedule, it does carry weight at the same time. Again, I hope it is posturing because the SEC stands to benefit a lot by having the nine game conference schedule just from an inventory perspective, like you discussed, but also from a building perspective. As we build this conference to 16 teams, begin building new matchups, new storylines, all that stuff, you want to be able to play those things regularly. And if you're only seeing teams potentially, you know, I mean, maybe you can see them as frequently, but the scheduling is just going to be a little bit different, I guess. So I'm trying to just even wrap my mind around if uh, if you play eight games and you've got 16 in the league and what what is it? Uh, I mean, it's seven team divisions right now. I mean, are we just then under that scenario, are we still just sticking two divisions and really under that scenario, would it then be 
you play your division and one non-division opponent, and, and that's your schedule. If you stick with eight games, I mean, wh- how would this format work if it is indeed eight? I don't know if divisions are being discussed. I, I think it's still more of the open for, kind of open world format where you just kind of play everybody. But again, how that break, breaks down, I'm not exactly sure. You know, if you play, okay, you got Texas, and then you need you know seven more opponents on your you know non conference schedule. Well, then. Okay, say you play group A year one and two, and then that leaves you that leaves eight SEC opponents left to play. Uh, does the math work out? No, the math doesn't quite work out because you still have, um, you know, there's going to be eight teams left over that you got to figure out in you know years three and year four, and somebody's going to get pushed to year five and six that you might not see, you know, but every you know five or six years now that'll that one team that kind of gets hung, hung out there in the balance you know that'll probably shift after that point you, you see them year five and six maybe then after the schedule kind of comes back through you see them years eight and nine after that so i don't know or nine and ten it's i mean god bless the person that's gonna have to put all that together because that is not going to be an easy task but I, th- I think what it comes down to is the nine game just made so much more sense from a symmetry standpoint. It was, it was simpler. I think it allowed everybody to plan a little bit easier, but I, I don't know. It, it'll, it'll be fun regardless. It's going to be a lot of fun, but I do think we do miss out a little bit if they go to eight versus nine. And I would say this too, if truly this is just in closing here on this subject, if this is financial posturing, from the, the SEC toward uh, ESPN, I would say this to the ESPN exec that for whatever reason, trying to get the lay of the land, wants to know what Locked On Sooners thinks about it. Sweeten the pot. Don't make this mistake because ultimately you're going to come away, I think, if you get if you sweeten the pot now and you don't wait until later if you're ESPN. It's kind of like the, you know, you look across – sports deals uh, nfl contracts if you get in the door early guess what you did it with the acc it's it winds up being a cheap contract later so if you're espn right now and you sweeten the pot in this particular instance well what are you going to do john number one you're going to get better tv matchups okay you're not going to have to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait for a lot of these games to be played So your inventory itself, year in and year out, is going to be better. You're going to have better ratings. You're going to make more money. And ultimately, you're probably going to pay less to do so. So if you're an ESPN exec, don't make the mistake on this deal. Pony up now. Don't uh, don't pony up later. Yeah, it's it's the same thing that happens in the NFL. If you wait to pay somebody, you end up just paying them more. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to follow. They're hoping to come into a a uh, decision on the scheduling aspect this this week. Oklahoma and Texas don't get a vote on it because they're not full members until the 2024 season. So there's still a couple years off from being able to have much say in the way that uh, SEC scheduling you know looks. And so it's going to be really interesting to find out. All this really comes down to is, and in a way, some of it's money. Some of it is security a little bit for the SEC fewer games against sec opponents means more opportunities to win games potentially and potentially more opportunities to make a bowl game. And although bowls don't really mean much in the big scheme of things for coaches, for athletic departments, 
That bowl means revenue. It means money. And missing out on a bowl means you miss out on money. And if coaches are missing out on money, coaches aren't, aren't going to be able to stick around for very long at said program. So there is definitely some, you know, financial incentive for some of your, you know, middling programs, so to speak. Some of the programs that are generally in the middle that are fighting for bowl eligibility, you know, teams such as Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi state, South Carolina, four programs who, according to Brandon Marcello of two, four, seven sports oppose a nine game schedule. Uh, you're talking about, you know, Alabama, Alabama's Alabama. They're going to be bowl eligible. The time I start worrying about Alabama contending for the college football playoff, the sec is when Nick Saban retires and moves on to something else. But for the foreseeable future, they're going to be a college football playoff contender, Alabama opposing the nine game schedule. It, it could be for a lot of reasons, some of it coming down to traditional rivalries as well, but those other teams opposing it, I can kind of see where they're coming from at the same time, as we discussed, Josh, just be better. There's so many bowl games. You still under this scenario would have three non-conference games. And really, even if you schedule one good opponent, that's, uh, you know, say you're, you're, Clemson South Carolina game or your Florida Florida State game you can have two uh, total cakewalk games so to stop it with the idea that it's difficult to get to six wins if you're good it ain't that difficult to get to six wins and now John five wins five wins in some instances you get sent to a bowl game so stop it with this idea that it's difficult to get bowl eligible it's not it's coaches being cowards and it's time to uh to, to just end that way of thinking stop it people ultimately ultimately you're going to hurt college football and uh, you're going to hurt the the product going forward because eventually eventually networks are going to say you know what we want better games that's really what it comes down to espn i mean yeah the money doesn't mean everything and greg sankey even said as much it's like if all you're doing is chasing money then you end up potentially making mistakes but the sec has been at the forefront of college football for quite some time. They'll continue to be at the forefront of college football. It's just a matter of getting everybody on the same page. And, and I still think that he's very much a proponent of the nine game schedule. And if Greg Sankey is as good a commissioner as everybody seems to think he is, he'll get everybody on board by the time it's all said and done. And this will be a nine game schedule just real quickly. I was just kind of doing the, uh, you know, looking at how a schedule could work out real quickly while we're, you know, discussing and, and yes, one team would get left out of the um, actually, no, it, it would work out just perfectly. Actually, that if you play Texas every year and I mean, there's still 14 teams for you to break up evenly. So even though the three, six thing works out pretty well, symmetry, the one seven still works out pretty well that you'll see everybody, um, every other year. So I just wanted to clear that up, clarify that because earlier I definitely said that the wrong way, but you would see everybody every four years at the very least. So, you know, whether you play, you know, you play Alabama year one and two, you won't see him for year three and four, but then you'll see him back again, five and six. So it, it would work out fairly well, but still you get shorted one sec conference game, which I think means a lot. Uh, Josh, a few more things that we'll touch on. we got a big DL uh, announcement uh, coming to Norman uh, as far as setting an official visit. We'll discuss that. 
Um, men's baseball getting selected to men's baseball baseball getting selected to the NCAA tournament. I uh, had a bunch of uh, D one softball, all American selections and Oklahoma still looks like they're chasing defensive line help. But first let's talk to our friends about FanDuel, Josh, make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. That's because right now for the NBA finals, new customers, a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That is no sweat first bet for new customers up to $2,500. There's no better place to bet all of the playoff action than America's number one sports book. You can check them out. FanDuel.com slash locked on to get that no sweat first bet up to $2,500. FanDuel.com slash locked on FanDuel an official sports betting partner of the NBA where the early odds just for those curious. And I think they've got it. I think they've got it right. Miami to me, a legitimate underdog in this series though. And look, they're an eight seed that's gotten here now to the NBA finals. Uh, haven't looked like that throughout these NBA playoffs, but it is uh, all Denver in terms of the, uh, the money line to win this series, Denver minus three ninety. So if you believe you believe Miami's winning this NBA Finals uh, plus 310, not too shabby. Again, that is uh, fanduel.com backslash locked on. Williams, Winery. We've been uh, monitoring this for some time. And uh, I don't know that this is surprising news to a lot of us that have been following this recruitment for five star defensive lineman Williams, Winery. But now we have it, uh, no pun intended. Set in stone, baby, in this recruiting class, what his uh, official visit calendar looks like, John. Yeah, he's going to be coming to Norman the first weekend of June or the first full weekend of June. Uh, what is that? June the – sorry, doing bad radio here. Uh, it's June 9th through the 11th, so he's not going to be coming for the champion barbecue but hoping to get some a little bit more intimate time with the Oklahoma Sooners coaching staff. And, I mean – this is a huge recruitment. The Sooners are crystal ball future cast on through predictions based on all that. They're the favorites right now for one area, but you still got to close. You still got to finish and you got to get them signed. So there's a lot of recruitment still to go. He's being heavily recruited by Tennessee and Miami, Oregon. I mean, all the heavy hitters in college football are coming after this kid as well. And uh, Missouri, the in-state school is, is going to have a chance to, to land him as well. So, it's not over till it's over, but to get him in uh, prior to the champion barbecue, I do, I do think that that could resonate with a kid of this ilk. Uh, but again, you've got some inside uh, access to him a little bit through, you know, Caden green uh, being a high school teammate of his. So he's got a little bit of an insight into what the program's about, you know, green just spending his first semester with the Sooners this spring. So it, it's, I mean, I think all eyes are going to be on Norman for you know, that, that weekend in which he's there visiting Oklahoma for an official visit, because it's one of the more high profile recruitments and of any position group, that's the big storyline in the 2024 recruiting cycle is what does Oklahoma do and how successful are they recruiting the defensive line in this cycle? Because it, they're kind of going for broke here with Winery David Stone set to be there for the champion barbecue and, you know, Joseph Jonah, Ajonye. You know, they missed out on Zadavian Sims, but Nigel Smith is also, you know, one of the better defensive line prospects in the country as well that they're heavily training for. So a lot of good options for them, but they got to hit them. They got to, they got to win these commitments. They got to get these signings. 
it's still going to be something that we're going to have to follow for the next seven months for sure. It's a busy slate of June visits for Williams Winery. Just, you know, start to finish throughout this month for Winery. It goes like this. It'll be Georgia this weekend. And then Oklahoma, obviously, as we told you, the following, then off to Tennessee and then the, the hometown visit there for the Lee Summit uh, product to uh, Missouri. And then uh, the final official visit scheduled for uh, September for Oregon. So would be good news in this recruitment, John, if you could blow it out of the water uh, right here, right now, this summer, then maybe you get, you know, an unofficial uh, during the season itself. That would, of course, be a great sign if there's a return trip in season for Winery to uh, Oklahoma. How do you feel before, after the Georgia visit, uh, sandwich in between a couple of, well, future SEC foes, Georgia, Tennessee, uh, well, and then Missouri uh, at the tail end of that as well. I mean, do you have a preference in terms of the timeline for Winery's visit? Is it advantageous to Oklahoma? Does it not matter? Where do you stand with that? I would like it to be last, but it's not going to be. At the same time, if they are able to get them on campus for a, a game day experience during the fall, then whether the official visit is this summer doesn't matter as much because they're going to get time with him in the fall. And I imagine they will. I mean, Lee summit's not that, not that far away. Like that's a road trip. They're not having, or, you know, the family's not having to break the bank, you know, book flights, get everybody, you know, book hotels, do all that. And that could potentially be a day trip if they wanted it to be, or at least just a one nighter in, in Norman to go to a game day experience. So it, it doesn't matter to me as much considering it's more of a quote unquote local uh, recruitment or regional recruitment, but for sure, you'd like to be the last, you know, the last voice that he hears uh, as you know he decides to make a decision. But uh, based on everything that we've heard from everybody, whether it's Parker Thune or John Garcia or Brian Smith, all these recruiting analysts, they think that this is going to be a recruitment that just continues on until signing day. And and so what we hear now, I mean, yes, it's encouraging where Oklahoma stands, but still, there's a long way to go in this battle that anything could happen. And I mean, we know Oregon, like Dan Lanning, he's, he's pulling his weight. Like he's pulling uh, guys up to, you know, Oregon, he's pulling them. He's got the gravity based on his recent history of success. And Brent Venables right now, he doesn't kind of have that. Like his national championships are quite some time away now uh, relative to Dan Lanning's and the six and seven season puts a little bit of a damper on some of that. when Dan Lanning had a successful season in his first year up at Oregon, but all that could change, you know, after one, you know, if they, if Oklahoma goes out and has a really good year this year, everybody's going to start feeling better about what they're building in Norman, as opposed to being concerned about the six and seven, they'll start thinking, okay, things are on the right track. They're heading in the right direction as they go to the sec. So I don't have to worry so much about that. So that's kind of where I stand on it, Josh. I, I think again, it's, it's too early to tell, but at least you're in a favorable spot as he goes into these visits. Well, and too bad we have to uh, put all of our ducks into the basket of the Colorado Buffaloes that weekend for that visit because, yeah, I, you know, the transfer portal overhaul, it's exciting. Dion's there, but I don't think Colorado's going to be any good. So I think that will be a uh, big-time performance for Oregon that weekend, unfortunately, it just on the gridiron itself. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about Built Bar here in a second, but then we'll go into some diamond talk as well. First, let me talk to you about our friends over at Built Bar. Best tasting protein bar ever. It tastes great. It's great for you. 
low calorie, low sugar, high protein, great flavors like cookies and cream, coconut brownie chunk. Uh, my favorite, the peanut butter brownie, mint brownie. So many good options for you to get a meal replacement, pre-workout, post-workout, or if you just want a snack that's not going to kill you calorically, it's not going to give you all the sugar that you might get from a candy bar, but it's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. So go check it out. Built.com. Use promo code LOCKED on 15 or sorry, lock 15, get 15% off your next order over at built.com. All right, Josh, a few more nuggets we're going to touch on before we get to diamond talk. Let's let's talk about this real quick. The Sooners offered a defensive lineman out of Utah Valley or sorry, Utah state out of the mountain West conference named Steven pay pay P pay. I'm going to butcher it. And I apologize for that. But a originally a signee of Michigan, uh, just played a few games there for the Wolverines before transferring to Utah State uh, for the 2021 season where he helped them win a Mountain West Conference championship. Uh, and then this past year, just played three games before tearing his ACL, was a starter for uh, the Aggies up there. And not really a lot of production statistically, but you look at what maybe he was asked to do along the defensive line. Potentially, this is a guy that can come in and be a a you know, nose tackle type one, you know, technique defensive tackle type for you and just plug holes. Philip Paya, by the way, uh, thank you, Josh, per the uh, Utah state Aggies uh, official bio. So that is uh, the pronunciation Paya, Philip Paya, Uh, six foot four, three Oh five. Like you said, uh, run stuffer, which uh, Oklahoma, John, they're going to welcome every single body type they can find like that as, Obviously, OU's in the process of, you know, signing players like this and then in-house development year over year over year. But probably Oklahoma could use a little bit of immediate plug-and-play help or plug-and-play depth. So, hey, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, you get an opportunity to beef up the defensive line a little bit. I think that's crazy enough because of the problems that you've had in the defensive backfield. But – with Bowen coming in and with Pearson that you've added and with Bowman a year older, some of the things going on in the defensive backfield. Okay. I feel pretty good there. Linebacker went and got McCullough. You saw what Stutzman did a season ago and he figures to be one year better. We'll see about uh, Canick or others progressing there. So linebacker, I think people feel fairly positive about cheetah i guess uh, instead of just calling it linebacker cheetah with mccola and i i see your comments before you you leave them for us justin harrington at cheetah so feel okay about that right now but defensive line is probably the area where oklahoma fans and particularly defensive tackle maybe are most uneasy so with all of that being said help 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 yes bring it on down and, and I think we like the progression that Jordan Kelly and Isaiah Co have made so far in their career, but nobody's kind of taken that step to becoming an elite player yet. And so you do want to add depth. So you have some rotational bodies to spell these guys. So they're not getting gassed, but you hope that one of these dudes takes a step and becomes a really, really good player or an elite player that, that helps you solidify your defensive line because defensive tackle has kind of been an issue for quite some time now, not just last year, but in years past as well, even though you had really good players in a, a Perry on Winfrey or Neville Gallum, or it, it never was this situation where you felt like, okay, Oklahoma's going to stop the run. No problem. They've got the run stuffers up there. Nobody's going to be able to run inside. It's like, okay, anytime you want to run inside, you're pretty much going to be able to 
just based on what Alex Grinch was trying to do. And now Brent Venable is trying to transition away from that. So it's just a matter of time and, and building that defensive tackle depth up a little bit and then adding run stuffers just like Paya here as well. So that's an important potential offer to follow. Uh, just offered over you know late last week, early in the weekend. So we'll keep track of that here on Locked On Sooners. A few quick notes here. Oklahoma baseball makes the NCAA tournament. Josh, your level of surprise on a scale of zero to 10. Oh, I think, you know, on the lesser of the surprise scale. So probably three, it felt like Oklahoma because of what they did to end the season, because of where their RPI was at the win. If you went two and Q in the big 12 tournament, I think they would have flip-flopped Oklahoma and Kansas state and K-State fans, of course, have a legitimate gripe because guess what? They took it to Oklahoma when the two teams played, but the RPI was in Oklahoma's favor, and uh, and Oklahoma got a nice win over Oklahoma State to open the Big 12 tournament. So with all of those factors at play, it seemed like OU had a pretty good little case for an at-large bid, and obviously uh, that's how it played out with the committee. So uh, they they get to go to a familiar state for their postseason. Seems like uh, Oklahoma has been in the state of Virginia a bunch uh, all of these uh, recent postseason trips. Yeah, so they'll face off with ECU in that first round or in that opening game of the regional. Also, we'll have Virginia and Army in the regional. So it'll be a really fascinating uh, East Coast uh, group of teams to, to follow. But uh, finally, before we get out of here, seven Oklahoma Sooners were selected to D1 softball's All-American teams, including five first-teamers. Only one other school had multiple first-teamers, the Tennessee Volunteers. Of your first-teamers for Oklahoma, Jordy Ball, Kinsey Hansen, Alyssa Brito, Tiara Jennings, and Jada Coleman. Your second-teamers, Haley Lee and Grace Lyons. I feel like it's a, a fair representation of what Oklahoma was this year. Uh, so not necessarily surprised that, you know, people were left off. I think you could probably make a case for Nicole May uh, to be on one of these lists, although she wasn't kind of the dominating presence um, all year long, but she was really, really good. So yeah. Any, any thoughts on any of that, Josh? Nicole May is uh, it's yeah, it's obviously tough to see her left off just because it truly was a three-person rotation for Oklahoma and Nicole May would be seemingly as dominant as either of the other two, but uh, all in all, I mean, a, a great representation for OU. I mean, when you get that many players recognized seven, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that is uh, that's a hearty number. There's not a lot of programs. There's no other programs that are doing that. So it's uh, it just, again, speaks to the dominance of this Oklahoma team that all of a sudden has a, a new all-time consecutive wins record in its back pocket as they cruise on into OKC. Yeah, it's a, you know, you, you can't have all of them. You can't get all the spots because just the way voting goes. But uh, still, you'd like to see a player like Nicole May, who did have a career year um, in her, her third season with the Sooners, um, have that kind of get that, get that recognition. You know what I mean? Get the recognition for being one of the best pitchers in college softball this year, but that's going to do it for today's episode of locked on Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in and being a part of the show. We appreciate you very, very much. Thanks for subscribing to the show, wherever you get your podcasts and over on YouTube, make sure you hit that notification bell to let you know when new episodes drop, follow Josh on Twitter at Josh on ref, follow me at John nine Williams. And the show is at locked on Sooners, but until next time he's Josh, I'm John. 
Boomer Sooner.